If you asked Mary and Joseph, what pushes your buttons? What is making your life miserable? What is that thing that is driving you crazy? It would be one word. H-E-R-O-D. Herod. Herod is a historic figure who is the most powerful man. He bought his way into the kingship. And he was a tyrannical leader. Anyone who tried to push against him, family members, political dissidents, he slaughtered them all. And the Christmas story begins by saying, and Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the days of a tyrant named Herod. And he is going to be hunting after them to kill them. You talk about pushing your buttons. They have no control over him. He's hunting them enough that he's willing to slaughter an entire village trying to get at them. Now that's a button pusher. How do you deal with that? On the other hand, you have Joseph. He's got dreams. He's got hopes. He's been picturing his marriage, his plan. He's been working on the home to bring his wife in. If you say, hey, who's pushing your buttons these days, Joseph? He'd say, oh, it's Mary. It's Mary. She's cheated on me. She cheated on me. She's found to be pregnant. It says after that, his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph. Before they'd come together, she was not volunteered the information. She was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. But he doesn't know that yet. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, hey, you violated our agreement. You violated our faithfulness. You violated our trust. Boundary is you, know, you don't stay with somebody who's repeatedly cheating on you. So not wanting to make a public example of her, he decides to divorce her quietly. Because in that culture, if, if you found out that you did it, you could actually be stoned to death. So he's even trying to be gracious while he's setting his boundaries. And notice again the mindset. Two words it's used. He was minded. He's thinking about this. He's processing this. There's a, there's, a, there's a music background playing behind him that says, all right, how to be gracious here? How do I set boundaries here? But while he thought about these things, he didn't react right into it. He's thinking about what's the appropriate way to balance the situation. He can't control that Mary's pregnant. They can't control that Herod's out to kill him. See, we can't. I, I, wish, I wish we could. I'd bottle it and sell it. We can't make other people change their tune. But... I can decide who or what I'm going to listen to, and I can sing a different tune when I come to face with people who are pushing my buttons. So what are the soundtracks you're playing? And often the soundtracks we play, especially around the holidays, they come from expectations of our culture or our music. So maybe if you ask Mary and Joseph, they probably say, I wish I could make Herod happy, I wish I could make Herod stop, I wish, I wish, I wish, that'd be the soundtrack, but you can't. There's certain people are not going to change their tune, like Herod. I can't. And if they were going to play a track, it's probably, please come home for Christmas. Oh, my goodness. We are now hiding out in Egypt because Herod's trying to kill us. I just got, if I could have one thing this Christmas season, if I could just be home for Christmas, well, they'll miss a Christmas. And they'll miss another Christmas. Two years will spend there. So for many of us, we've got an expectation. If only, if only I could be someplace or, or get away from somebody, then I'd be happy. Sometimes you ever listen to Christmas music? It's amazing the expectations that come with it. You know, it's beginning to look like Christmas. I love this song. It's beginning to look like Christmas. And then we take that and say, our Christmas has to be perfect. Every arm has to be perfect. Everyone has to get along all the time, right? And this music's playing. It's kind of a nice song. It becomes this expectation. Everything needs to be wonderful, right? What else you got on here? I'll be home for Christmas, right? Or how about, like, Andy Williams? 
It's the most wonderful time of year. So this Christmas, everybody comes together. It can be a good time. No, no, it doesn't have to be a good time. It has to be the most wonderful time of year. It doesn't look like you're being wonderful over there. We need some wonderfulness. Get that guy some wonderfulness. Hey, look, not, not smiling. Everyone is wishing each other good cheer, right? Everyone. It's the happiest. Looks like some sadness over here. No time in our family for sadness. It's amazing how the expectations, the music that plays in the background affects boundaries. It affects what drives us crazy. And for many of us, our circumstances, whether it's a Herod or a circumstance, it's created some sadness. You know, we may be playing Blue Christmas, and for good reason this year. There's a place for sadness and grief in the Christmas story. And we've done several funerals the last couple months, even last week. Some of us will be playing a Blue Christmas because life has pushed the button and you've lost someone you love and someone you care about. So how do you find joy in the midst of that soundtrack playing behind you? How do I choose what I'm going to listen to, but also how do I sing a different tune in, in light of the circumstances I can't change? Or maybe it's Christmas won't be the same this year for the same reason. Maybe there's been a divorce situation. Maybe so-and-so's not talking to so-and-so and the traditions had to change. And yet that tune has been playing over and over in your head in such a way that those circumstances you can't change, that person you can't change, is dominating every thought you have. And it's robbing you of joy. So we're going to look at that phrase. We can't change other people's tune. We're going to look at that. I can choose what I'm going to listen to. We'll look at that. And then I can sing a different tune. Let's look at that. So let's start the first one. I can't change other people's tunes. People are going to push my buttons, and there's some people who are just unmovable. They're unnudgeable. They're uninfluenceable. I wish that wasn't the case, but there's some people you just can't even influence, and Herod was one of them. So, the wise men have come, and they've told this king, the king of, of Jerusalem, that they're trying to find what this star in the east looks like, and, and they found this star. They're from the east, and, and they saw this star in the west. As they're making their way out, they're like, we see a new king's been born. And here's what they say. It's pretty fascinating. When Herod the king heard this, that a king has been born by the wise men, he was troubled. And when Herod's mad, everybody's troubled with him. You talk about a button pusher. Everybody's mad. People know when Herod gets mad, lots of people die. You talk about a button pusher. This guy is so unsafe that when he gets mad, everybody's buttons get pushed. And when he gathered all the chief priests together and scribes the people together, he inquired of them, oh, by the way, where was the Christ going to be born? Oh, it sounds like he might be interested. Yeah, he's interested because he's trying to kill him off. Now, here's why it's interesting. Herod was not born king of the Jews. Herod actually bribed his way. He bought his way into this kingship. He wasn't even Jewish. He's the king of the Jews, and he's not Jewish. He buys his way into this thing. And so when the wise men show up and say, hey, we know there's somebody who's been born king of the Jews, that word born, mm, you could not have said anything worse. It's everything he's not. So he pulls the scribes in and says, where's he going to be born? And they say, well, he's going to be born in Bethlehem, in Judea. It's written by the prophet hundreds of years ago. You're going to find Messiah, God's final forgiver. He'll be born in Bethlehem. Well, he's now going to do everything he can to destroy anyone who might be Jesus. So there's people like this in our life. Now, there's different degrees. Some people are just unsafe. Some people are just annoying. There's some people who are really, in this case, dangerous. How do we deal with that? Well, first we've got to recognize, I want to make people happy, but sometimes I just can't make people happy. Sometimes people are just not going to nudge, and I may have to set some boundaries. 
choose how much influence I'm going to give or how much weight I'm going to give to their voice. And so you see that in the Christmas story here. What happens? Well, number two, I can choose who I'm going to listen to. I can choose who I'm going to tune into. We can decide who we listen to and how much access we give to them, set boundaries for their access. As we've talked in this series, the brain has three components, or three levels. We have the rational part of the brain, and the rational part of the brain is a place that we can put in new messaging, new songs, and literally it creates new grooves in your brain. The more you think and meditate on new ideas, it actually forms new grooves. Those grooves on the rational part of the brain can then affect the emotional part of the brain. Also a very good, very important part of us. However, it can sometimes play old tapes. If you play the wrong tape for the wrong circumstance, you might interpret it wrongly. So how do we get new grooves to help interpret our circumstances in a fresher, more healthy way? And the third part of the brain, Paul McLean, the doctor who formed this, called this the reptile brain. This is really the part, the unconscious part that affects your breathing, it affects your bloodstream, your, 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 your pumping of your heart. And yet, when you think certain thoughts, when you feel certain things, what's going on in the part of the brain you can affect, affects it. You suddenly fight or flight, you suddenly, everything goes up. You, you, you feel like you're under attack. You may not really be under attack, but if you feel under attack, you start thinking you're under attack. It's getting very fearful. So how do we turn up certain voices, right? How do we say, hey, this one I want to hear louder, Herod, the Herod voice is demeaning me. The Herod voice is trying not to get me. How do I tune down the voices that are not healthy, that are not true? Now, my family is as dysfunctional as any, anyone. So let me tell you a little, little dysfunction in our family. So I'll start with my uncles. So one of my uncles is an arrogant, never been wrong his entire life atheist. The other is an arrogant, never been wrong fundamentalist Christian. We want to buy tickets as a family to see the two of them debate. We just think it would be awesome just to watch. The, the guys have never been wrong about anything. So my dad was always the kind of middle child who tried to mediate between um, everybody. And so my Uncle Mark came over. He died a few years ago. He comes to our house when I was real little. And my dad says, hey, uh, would you mind, like, when your kids come in the house, just have them take the, the shoes off because they're getting mud all over the place. He's like, you can't tell my kids. Don't tell me how to raise my kids. He's like, well, I'm not trying to tell you to raise your kids. It's just kind of like, you know, when in Rome, do as the Romans. My uncle's like... Maybe we just won't visit Rome. And we never saw him again. That was the last time they ever visited our house. That was when I was uh, six. My other uncle, the fundamentalist minister, is right about everything. He's never been wrong in anything in his life. It's amazing. And my aunt, who always describes my Uncle Kent, she'll say, Ah, Kent, he's so narrow-minded, his ears overlap. <laughs> yeah, one of my favorite lines from her. So a couple years ago, we had a big kind of family drama because... Um, my brother and sister-in-law got mad at us for a situation that they disagreed with what happened, and we disagreed with what happened. But they got really mad. So they wrote a letter to every relative, mailed it and emailed it, a statement concerning Chad and Beethoven. And they had a statement, let me tell you. Well, I'm immediately, of course, mad, angry, and wanting to justify, and I handled some things poorly in the situation, so I didn't handle it all great. But I remember calling up as many people as I could who got the letter, like, I don't want to be controlled by this. I can't just pretend this didn't happen. So I said, listen, you don't have to choose sides. I talked to cousins. I talked to uncles and aunts. You don't have to choose sides between Ryan and I and our families. You can be their friends. You can be our friends. We'll try and work it out. But obviously, it's a big disagreement. But please, I don't want to be triangulated into those things. So I tried to set up that. It's okay if you have different opinions. You don't have to choose sides. 
And then I really felt like, despite I felt very wronged, um, and I didn't want to be cussed at, I don't like being cussed at, and so I didn't allow my wife to be cussed at, which kind of was part of the boundary that I didn't like. And I still felt like I wanted, if possible, to find a way to reconcile. So I'm not going to be cussed at, but if you can find a way to not cuss at me for an hour and talk about this, I'm open to it. It took six years. But six years I felt like I wanted to pursue reconciliation despite some wrongdoing. Um, I wanted to set some boundaries, but also I wanted to have a spirit of reconciliation. It's not easy to do. It's not easy to, it's easier just to say, revenge, they shouldn't have done that. It's easier to say, oh, you know what, let's just keep the peace, and you get stomped on. It's very hard to walk the middle of this. Reminds me of a party I went to years ago. I'm not really a big party goer because I like to play games and talk. And most parties have the music turned up so loud you can't hear. So I'm at this party in my 20s. We show up to the party and same thing. You got the music up to like six. It's in a small apartment. Nobody can hear each other. <laughs> There's no games to play because I like playing games. And I'm just watching. I'm kind of people watching. And they're like, how's it going? It's going good. <laughs> Music's so loud. And so I'm kind of bored. And I think, you know, I'm going to entertain myself. So about every 15 minutes, I get up to fill my cup. And I turn the knob up half a thing. Music gets louder. About 15 minutes later, I turn it up again. <laughs> An hour into this party, I've got the music up to level nine. Everybody is, they have no idea. It happens so slowly, like the, the classic frog thing. They're literally, how are you doing? I had a great weekend. So did I. It was so hilarious. Because we don't even recognize the volume being turned up around us. We don't recognize the songs are being played. We don't recognize how other things are influencing us. Either I never compromise all the time because I saw my parents compromise and they got bulldozed. Uh, I, I never stand up for myself because I saw my mom stand for herself and she got slaughtered. All this noise in the background, we don't even realize what's going on. So with Herod, three things we recognize. What unsafe people do. And he's like a casebook studying what unsafe people do. Number one, unsafe people use secrets to manipulate. They're not direct. They're not clear. They don't say, hey, we got a disagreement. Let's talk about it. They always use secrets and triangulation. So Herod, who's trying to kill Jesus, secretly called the wise men. Oh, come here. So we got a little secret here. Let me tell you what's going on. Oh, do me a favor. Determine to them what time the star appeared. So how old is he going to be? Well, they don't know he's trying to kill him. Whenever you start seeing people in your family use triangles and gossip and secrets, and we all do it, realize that's not a healthy behavior. That's unsafe. And you want to kind of stay away from that kind of behavior. We'll talk about why in a second or how. Number two, unsafe people show interest in your agenda only if it serves their agenda. Herod looks like he's the most interested person in Old Testament prophecy. Tell me about Bethlehem. Tell me about your, your journeys here. All he wants to do is use their information for his agenda of killing off Jesus. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him. Right. When you start seeing people who routinely lie, routinely say things that turns out not to be true, you got to say, I might need some boundaries in this situation. I can still be gracious and kind to patients, but I need to not overweight or overvolumize somebody who uses lies all the time. Third thing we see in Herod, as a very unsafe person, is unsafe people can choose misery, regardless of the joy around them. All right, so Herod... And the wise men have the exact same circumstance. A star, Jesus. One is miserable, needs to control, needs to attack, needs to destroy because he feels threatened, right? You talk about all kinds of wrongdoing. Born king of the Jews, born king of the Jews. I'm threat, I'm threat, I'm threat. Kill, 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 kill. The wise men are like, man, God has sent a forgiver, a leader. Same circumstances, 
The joy of the world is here. One's miserable, one's not. They saw the young child with Mary and his mother. They fell down and worshipped him. They presented gifts to him. Man, this is the greatest day in the world. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, they didn't come back. He was exceedingly angry. He sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem. Whoa. So you can see how same circumstance can get two reactions from two different people based on the messaging that you're playing in your head, the music in the background. So what are yours? Some of us have been victimized. Some terrible things have happened. But you've allowed that victimization to become your identity. You're playing like, I got run over by a reindeer. This is my grandma's least favorite song ever. I remember my grandma's like, don't play that song. Of course, we're kids. Play it again. Play it again. You know? Some of us aren't willing to say, I went through some trauma, and I have been victimized, and I need to own that. I was run over by bad parenting. I was run over by bad circumstance. I run over by... On the other side, others of us, we've become this song. This song is our identity. You know, I can't do anything. I, grandma, I got run over by a reindeer because of what happened to me three years ago or five years. And it's become our identity and it's paralyzed us. It's not setting us up for success. And often when you've spent your life maybe not having good boundaries, the pendulum usually swings the other side. You go for, I've never had boundaries. I've been angry. It's been growing resentment for years and years and years. I swing over to, you're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. And now, everything you do is wrong. I'm married to a narcissist who's gaslighting me all the time, Mr. Grinch. And then what happens is the pendulum swings. You go from I never could talk, I could never set boundaries, to now we label the other person. I was talking to a friend of mine who's a psychologist here, and we just talked about how challenging it's been the last couple of years in marriage counseling. Because everybody reads one book about narcissism and one phrase about gaslighting, and it destroys the ability to have a healthy marriage conversation. Because when you label your spouse, I mean, a statistical chance you have an actual narcissist is low. Could be, but low. We all have narcissistic tendencies. We all are selfish. We all want our own way. So as I've said to many couples, let's not start with labeling the other person. And when someone disagrees with you, that's gaslighting, that's gaslighting, it's ga No, it may not be gaslighting. Maybe just a different perspective. I'm not sure those terms are helpful. They become a, a, a term that, that rolls around in your head and doesn't help. Others of us, you know, how we learned to love growing up put a certain soundtrack in us. It's Rudolph, right? Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer had a very shiny nose. People used to laugh and call him names, like Pinocchio. We got laughed, we got made fun of, and so they kind of got these bad images. You got to earn your way, you got, to, you got all these bad songs singing, and then you get to, oh yeah, but, but then one foggy Christmas day, Santa came to say, Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you leave the sleigh tonight? Yeah! Then all the reindeer loved him. Did they? <laughs> Did they? Then all the reindeer used him, used him. That's what really it says, right? So often we don't even realize the music we listen to, we learned you had to earn love. We learned we weren't worthy of love. You're only as good as your next project. You're only as good as what you can offer other people. And we bring that into relationships, and we now have our kids. That, we don't even know we're playing the song. They have to earn our rights, earn our appreciation, earn our encouragement. Because these songs are playing in the background. Other times, we're on unsafe people and we're just playing songs. We think content will come if I just get something. If I just had that job, if I just had that promotion, if my wife would just sing that thing, if my son would just say that thing. All I want for Christmas is my two front teeth. I just want those two things and I'll be happy. I just want this one thing. And you get that one thing and you move the goalpost. Well, just one more thing, just two more teeth. What are the songs that create our discontentment? 
Sometimes we build a relationship. We say, all I want is you. And then we go through a difficult time. It's a divorce. It's, it's a tragedy. It's a breakup. And we realize we put our whole identity in all I want is you. All those things, your soul is too big to be sustained by things. And especially with all the unsafe people around, we do need to know that there's times for boundaries. And Christmas can be a time for boundaries. It's okay to have boundaries. In fact, we see that in the Christmas story. We see very clear boundaries for Christmas. Right? Being divinely warned in a dream, so God has given this dream that they should not return to Herod. Boundary, don't go back there. They departed a different way to their own country. Another way. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, hey, don't go back there. Set some boundaries. Stay away from Herod. Arise, take your young child and his mother. Flee to Egypt. Stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. There's people who are unsafe. There's people who are just ornery. And there's times for boundaries. In this case, the boundary is going to be the last two years. But again, labeling someone is not always helpful because people can change and circumstance can change. So even in this Christmas story, you might have the person who doesn't set really good boundaries, and you're like, I need to realize it's okay sometimes to set boundaries, to not be a doormat. For those of us who set really good boundaries, it's okay and maybe needed to adapt and to be flexible and to not be right all the time. How do we tune in to a new tape? Whatever side you lean, how do you move to the middle where it's healthier? And if you do set boundaries, I see some people didn't set boundaries their whole life. They start setting a boundary. It's like, I'm never going to talk to you ever again. Sometimes that's appropriate, but not often. Instead of saying, for right now, until this happens, until I get some healing, until you make some changes, then I'm willing to reconcile. Like my brother. I'm willing to connect. We're not going to agree on this. But if you can do it in a way that's not A, B, or C, and I wrote letters for five years and found a way for us to be together. And we now have a, a pretty good relationship. We don't agree with what happened. <laughs> but we have agreed we're going to make our, our relationship more important than the issue. It's not easy to navigate that. Now, also keep in mind that those boundaries can be temporary. It's temporary here. Two years later, hair is dead in this case. But circumstances have changed. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother at night and departed for Egypt. And when he was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled. So it was God's will for him to move to Egypt to hide away from this guy. And again... This guy was a textbook narcissist. This guy was dangerous at any level. Uh, track record of people dying. God then calls him out of Egypt and sends him back to Bethlehem and Nazareth. But notice it's temporary. He removed himself from the situation for a while, and then circumstances changed. In this case, it was the person died. Let me give you a couple examples. I have a friend of mine named Peter. He worked in the oil industry. And every time his mother called, he's from Scotland, she would always say, you know, I was talking to your brother the other day, and he was probably in his 40s, and your brother's really angry at you because of what happened last Christmas. Really? He didn't tell me. Well, he didn't want to tell you, but he told me. So then he called his brother. Should I call him up? No, don't call him. I'll talk to you about it. So then she'd call the brother. You know, I was talking to Peter. He's really concerned about how you feel toward him. And she would just set up all these triangles because, you know, she was lonely and she needed to be needed, and so she would set up these triangles to make herself important. So Peter decided, part of setting his boundaries, he says, hey, Mom, I'm not going to talk about my brother on the phone with you. Ask me about my life. Ask me about my marriage. Ask me about kids. Let's you and I have a relationship that's not related to what my brother did or didn't say. Then he called his brother up and said, listen, there's been some triangulation the last couple years. If I have a problem with you, I'll call you. If you have a problem, could you call me? And let's have our conversations, not about family drama, but really about interacting with each other's lives. 
He said that conversation, though it was hard for his mom, because that's kind of how she got her needs met, changed the dynamics by setting some boundaries, and they were able to have different flourishing. In many families, when you come visit for Christmas, the music track is, you got to stay with us. Well, we're staying for a week. You got to stay with us. We'll get a hotel. Don't waste your money. And you're thinking, five days, <laughs> 24 hours with my family. It will not be a waste of money to go to that hotel. That is perfectly okay. Despite your family is going to say, don't stay at a hotel. No, 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 no. You can say, we're going to stay at a hotel because we will love you better by getting away from you a few hours a day. Don't say that part out loud. But the point is, you know that it's okay to hang out with people and also have time away. Family vacation, you have to spend every single minute with people. It's sometimes better to have time apart and time together. It's okay to have those boundaries. I was talking to a guy who heard me tell a story about my brother, and he said, listen, I'm having the same trouble with my, with my kids. He's in his 70s, and they're in his 50s. He says, they're just, every time we're together, it's just clawed each other and mad at each other, and everybody's on top of each other. What would you recommend? Well, I don't know the situation, but I would start with, can you own something you've done wrong and apologize? No. Okay, well, then I don't have much for you. Because I would imagine that they've done a lot of things wrong, but they've never heard you admit you've done something wrong. If you want to change the dance, it might begin with you adapting by apologizing that you did. So some of us have, they're wrong, they're wrong, they're wrong, so we can't apologize. Versus maybe you were wrong about 10%. Could you take 100% responsibility for the... 10% you did wrong. It would change the dynamic. So we're going to choose who we're listening to and who we give access to our heart, who we give access to the, our thoughts. We're going to turn down the people who are negative. We're going to set boundaries for people because we need to learn how to sing a different tune. And this is what we see in the Christmas story. The Christmas account in history is that you can sing a different tune. I mean, by all rational examples, Joseph is interpreting his circumstances correctly, right? Mary's cheated on him. Let's read it again. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child. We'll jump down. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, was minded. He's thinking. He's playing a soundtrack. He thought about these things. My whole future is falling apart. All my plans for the next 20 years are gone. The person I trusted the most has been untrustworthy. And if you and I were advising him, we'd say, yeah, that's, that's good discernment there. It sounds like what you got. But we find in this obviously extraordinary circumstance is he's interpreting these circumstances through the wrong tune. She's cheated on me. My life's falling apart. God's not with me. I am so off the reservation. But as we know, he needs to play another tune. But see, the human brain is a great recorder, but a lousy interpreter. So we will have the same facts as somebody else, but we'll all come to different interpretations. Are you going to be humble enough and open enough that you may not be hearing it, but may be interpreting it? Joseph is. Now, the angel in the dream helped, but he's thinking, mindful about this. He's processing this. He's open to not just reacting, right? He's being thoughtful. And it's into that that he goes from interpreting through the wrong tune to God giving him a new tune for his circumstances. Are you open to interpreting your current circumstances, your current button pushers through a new tune? Because he's going to find that not only is he not interpreted correctly, 
but from God's perspective, he's got it all upside down. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Your hippocampus is playing fear. Fear, fear, fear. Everything I ever wanted, everything I ever hoped, everything's falling apart, everything's falling apart, this isn't going according to plan. Do not fear. You think you're out of God's will, you think you're out of God's plan. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For what's conceived of her is not somebody she cheated with. It's actually from me, from the Holy Spirit. And by the way, she's going to bring forth that child, a son, and I want you to call his name Jesus. Because not only are you not out of God's will, not as God, not like it feels like God has left you, you are right in the center of the most important time in history. And God is going to save everybody from their sins, which means he's going to offer them forgiveness. You were fearful. You thought you'd been betrayed. You thought you were out of God's plan. You're right in the center of God's plan. Which is why he goes on to say, and a nickname for this child will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. You feel like life's crazy, life's out of control, things aren't going to plan, but I'm telling you what's happening to you right now if you open to a new tune, what you're happening right now is what was fulfilled and predicted and promised by God years in advance through a prophet. And that does not feel true. But God says it is true. I want you to start playing in your head, Emmanuel, God is with us. Emmanuel, he's got a plan. Emmanuel, God's going to work in my current circumstances. God's going to work with me trying to figure out that balance between having boundaries but also being flexible choosing who I need to tune down for how long, whether that's temporary, what I need to turn up that's more true because God says it's true. What would it look like for you and I to realize? Some of us who are people pleasers, we've been trying to make everybody happy. And one of the tunes we need to play is, I can't change somebody else's tune today. Others of us, we're so good at boundaries, we're not really gracious, we're not really adaptive, and we're not really good at seeing where the people are coming from. Are you open to a new tune that maybe I'm interpreting when I thought I was hearing? And are you willing to say, God, how might you interpret these tunes? What would it look like for you to pull out the old boombox, put it over your head, and play a new tune over your current circumstance, your current life? And what if you said, I got this old pattern. Every time this happens, I get anxious. Every time we fight about this, I power up. What if I play a new tune? Instead of seeing my spouse as trying to control me, I'm going to see my spouse as hurting and trying to communicate a hurt in them. What if my old habit is every time uh, things go out of control, I begin to be critical of the people around me? Well, we wouldn't have done this if you hadn't said to do this. I notice these old patterns in my life. I say, what is the tune I play? Oh, I'm scared. I sound critical, but I'm really scared. I sound domineering, but I'm actually insecure. What would be a new tune that you could play over an old pattern or over a person? Every time you get for Christmas time, maybe it's like Thanksgiving last week, I told you, you get around that person and this tune starts playing in this reaction. You say, this is the tune I'm going to play. This is the new album I'm going to play when I'm around there. And if you have a tendency not to be very forgiving, maybe stop playing your mean one, Mr. Grinch. And despite we disagree, despite what I don't like about what you're doing, I'm still going to wish you a Merry Christmas. I can still be gracious when you're not. Or maybe lastly, it's over predicament. Life has pushed your buttons, and you can't control it. What if you began to play a song like Emmanuel? Or, you know, whatever God's doing, it can't believe he doesn't care about me, because what child is this? God provided a child for me because he loved me and died for me. So whatever I don't understand is seen through the lens of what I do understand. God has a plan for my life. 
And what seemed totally out of control for Mary and Joseph turned out to be the center of God's will. So what if I look at my circumstance and say, this doesn't seem like it's going according to plan. But God can use anything to accomplish his purpose. I invite the band to come out and I want you to think about Mary and Joseph. Not think of them as religious figures. Not think of them as like super Christians with little halos that are all seen in stained glass windows and things like that. As a 13, 14-year-old who's engaged to her, her husband. And their whole life has been thrown out of control. Mary doesn't know what she's going to do. How are you pregnant? I've never been with a man. Joseph doesn't know what he's going to do. Our whole life's falling apart. Then after Jesus is born, they find out the number one dictator in the world is trying to kill them. Think of them as human beings. And what it would be like for them to play the kind of music that says, we're going to trust and we're going to follow in our circumstances. We're going to talk about forgiveness more next week and how do we process through the lens of forgiveness. But let me lead you into prayer. And if you want to bow your heads, if that's helpful, you can do that. And just maybe talk to God. Say, God, I'm open that I might be interpreting my life through the wrong, through the wrong tune. And God, help me see where you've forgiven me when I was selfish, when I was bullheaded, so I can pass that forgiveness and graciousness onto the people I'm so mad about. Maybe you want to ask God for courage. God, give me courage to set boundaries while still being flexible. To how you might work. God, we ask for every circumstance here, for those who do have a blue Christmas going on, someone's missing, that you would be Emmanuel. You'd wrap your arms around them, let them know that you are with them and with their family in these challenging times. God, for those who have conflict and everyone is not wishing each other goodwill and everything is not the most wonderful time of the year, God, that you would just set expectations that it's okay not to be perfect. It's okay to work in the midst of broken people and selfish people because that's what you do. And through that, Father, help us to be real people who live out a real life, mixing grace and truth to the people around us. In Jesus' name, amen.